Hello, it's Alison Gregg here. And Ian Gregg. With this new episode of the Living Word podcast. This week is all about Jesus' trial and horrible execution. It's not a pleasant subject, so why do we need to talk about it? I suppose it's fundamental to what we believe and live in. We can't have Easter resurrection and joy without the prelude of Jesus suffering and dying on the cross. The resurrection is bound up with the fact that Jesus rose from a dead and entombed state. But it's, it's still puzzling. We wonder why Christ had to endure all that lying and untrue accusation. Well, of course, there was a spiritual battle going on behind the evil actions of the religious court. And the devil is called the accuser. And the story tells how Jesus responded in the opposite spirit, not attacking and not offering any defence. So that exposed the difference between all that hatred and corruption and God's fairness. And then there's all the brutality and pain. Why did he have to endure the flogging as well as the crucifixion? Well, I think one good reason is that it fulfilled what had been prophesied. Isaiah spoke of a suffering servant of God, and it contains a phrase that's often quoted, by his stripes we are healed. So you're saying he had to die the worst kind of death to pay the price for us to live in eternal life? I think that's about right. Also, it just struck me, an event that is horrific is also memorable. And these events are remembered by literally billions of Christians. It's like the basis of our Christian faith and something we think about, well, every day. What makes Christianity different from all the other world religions? Many religions follow the tradition of a good person. But we would say Christian faith is not one of many religions, but a relationship. It's knowing someone who was dead, put to death in front of many people, but didn't stay dead and is now very much alive and known spiritually. That is unique. But do we need to be especially solemn and serious? That's a good question, and we address it in the talk. In some churches, you see a little crucifix with Christ still on the cross. In others, if you see a crucifix or a cross, there is no one on it. He didn't stay there, and he didn't stay dead. His death was a victory over sin and death. That's complicated. We want to remember his suffering in an appropriate way, but now you're saying we should celebrate his victory. It was a couple of days later when the disciples visited the tomb and found it was empty. Then they knew that what he had told them was true. But the victory was actually won when he said, it is finished and died. And then the earthquake happened. I suppose different people will remember this differently. Some will remember in a solemn way. Others will want to praise him for the victory he won. Perhaps there's room for all those emotions. What really matters is that we remember and are moved by it. I believe you had a rather good quote to share. Yes, 
This week's pithy quote comes from Christian author and speaker Lisa Bevere, who said this, If you think you've blown God's plan for your life, rest in this. You, my beautiful friend, are not that powerful. That's great, isn't it? <laughs> Love it. <laughs> the events we remember this week must have seemed to the disciples like God's plan through Jesus the Messiah was totally blown. And if we're too sorrowful, it can seem like we think that too. The truth couldn't be more opposite. Satan's plan of domination defeated by the self-sacrifice of Jesus, the only perfect man, on a cross. All the pain, all the lies and all the abuse come down to victory. Which takes us into this week's story which is entitled Why are Christians joyful about their Lord dying on a cross? Hello, it's Ian Gregg here with another episode of the Living Word Story. The story of God and his goodness sending Jesus with his message of good news that salvation is found in believing in him. We don't have to work at it, although if we have come to know him in a spiritual encounter, we will find ourselves working with him. That's what happens when we find the freedom of being renewed spiritually in Christ, a new start for us, the assurance of always being with him and a joy and peace inside that wasn't there before. Great benefit to us, but it came at a terrific cost. Did we pay it? No, Jesus did. And this week's story tells how this was foretold from ancient times, how Jesus grew up and entered his ministry knowing it would have a horrendous ending. And he did it willingly for you and for me. The Psalms, which were the hymns of praise and worship of their time, speak to people like King David and King Solomon about situations of their time. But being spiritual compositions, many are also prophetic about what God will do, including the coming of his son, Jesus. This Psalm that we open with also sits as a prayer of Jesus at the time of extreme trial which is the part of the story that unfolds from the Bible readings this week. From Psalm 31, we are given a foretaste of that time of physical and emotional pain and anguish. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbours and an object of dread to my closest friends. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. This theme of distress continues, and it's not a pleasant one. This is reality. Christ paid a very high price as he endured a death agony of body, emotional soul, and spirit. Isaiah was the inspired creator of four poems about God's anointed servant, and this extract 
is taken from the third. It describes the physical abuse experienced by Jesus at his trial, which featured full testimony against him and no representation. In both Jewish and Roman law, it was illegal. But pause for a moment to consider the spiritual battle being waged in the heavenlies, which is the source of the hatred and injustice meted out to Jesus. Have you been falsely accused or unfairly judged? Take heart. You're in good company, and it happens to the best. The Sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue. He wakens me morning by morning to listen like one being instructed. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the Sovereign Lord who helps me. Now the story changes course from prophetic insights about the suffering servant of God whose wounds will bring healing to those who do put their trust in him. The scene changes now to the second trial before the Roman governor Pilate. Jesus' first trial by the Jewish council branded him a blasphemer, not by what he said, but by what others made of what he said. However, blasphemy was not seen as a capital crime by the Roman governor, who clearly recognised the signs of a constructed charge, as we will hear. For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. This is the trial before Pilate and the execution of Jesus, a painful and difficult-to-hear account from Matthew 27. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas? or Jesus who is called the Messiah. For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? 
asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, 
Lemma Sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. This is not our favourite passage to hear, but perhaps it should be. The public humiliation, shame of carrying a cross and dying as an outlaw is beyond our capacity to imagine. Crucifixion was a punishment reserved for the dregs of society, such as violent robbers who gasped out their lives by the side of Jesus, one of whom found salvation there and then. And that's the point. We find salvation at this place. We see the cost of our independence, rebellion, failure to trust and believe displayed right there. We can't avoid it. There's no substitute for it. Jesus offered to go in our place so that we could be let off. Many Christian traditions mark this time, especially remembered on Good Friday, with solemnity, darkness and sorrow. And this is one aspect. Our shared darkness tried Jesus, falsely accused him, and demanded the severest of punishments. So it is a time to reflect on the physical and emotional ordeal he went through, and perhaps, worst of all, a sense of spiritual abandonment at the end. At this moment, Jesus experienced, momentarily and shockingly, the horrific lostness of separation from his father. That's our lostness apart from him. But this is only half the story. We must come to the place where Jesus gives his final shout of victory. And Matthew records the earthquake and the significant tearing of the temple curtain. This is not a matter of sorrow, but rejoicing, the breaking of sin's hold on mankind, the reversing of Adam's curse, and the freedom for all believers to have a personal relationship with Almighty God is a huge change and a magnificent release. There can be nothing solemn about this. So, the most shocking and sorrowful moment in history when the sinless, suffering servant was silenced is also the most praiseworthy. The domination of sin and evil established in Adam's independent deviation has been broken by the righteous, sacrificial action of Jesus, the man without sin, in dying for us. 
the restriction and exclusivity symbolized by the temple system has been terminated. The dividing curtain was destroyed. Every person of every rank, gender and age can now know God personally. And the only intermediary needed is Jesus. That releases our praise and joy as we hear Jesus exclaim, It is finished, completed, mission accomplished. That's not recorded by Matthew, but it is recorded in John 19.30. I'll read it. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. When Jesus had tasted the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The bearing and attitude of Jesus during his trial and in the agonies of a tortured death speak to us about our own attitudes. We have been reminded that Jesus gave no answer to the accusations of the chief priests and elders. And when asked by Pilate if he had heard the charges, we read, Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the amazement of the governor. He is not defending the truth of his righteous stance, but choosing to take the stance of a humble and submissive servant. And as we now hear, that is our call. In our new nature, we don't need to be up on ourselves. To the dismay of the flesh, or the selfish part of us, we can grow into the same kind of attitude that Jesus had, as we hear now in Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus went to the lowest place, suffered the worst punishment, received the most hurtful mocking, and let go of what is most precious to us, our self-esteem and life itself. He was the divine Son of God who had a part in creation. He gave up all that privilege, emptying himself of his divine nature and becoming the most ordinary kind of man, growing up in a little-regarded provincial town in the hinterland of Jewish Palestine. And us? Jesus had nothing to prove, but we have to become free of our need to. This simple shift transforms our relationships, especially among believers who follow Jesus and live for him. If we share in acknowledging that Jesus is Lord and in submitting our lives, preferences and opinions to him, that gives us a unique oneness with every other believer.
there is no separation or division of what we call denominations or ranks of different kinds of believer. We serve the same master with a diversity of gifting. Neither is there a separated caste of priesthood or priestly authority. We are all servants, some more experienced, some less, and the ones recognized as having a particular call to a pastoral role are facilitators of all the others who are growing in Jesus. Those who have in our own spiritual encounter been at the cross as the Savior died have heard and received his final words. Final words have a particular gravity all of their own, and it is finished translates to us as our commission to carry on for him, mindful of his promise to be with us. This is what the disciples heard and what they did, especially after the reality of the resurrection became clear to them. We live in the joy and freedom of Jesus' completed work, not in a grim religion of trying to make ourselves complete. The latter is as unattractive as a life sentence. But knowing Jesus and what he has done for us is life-giving freedom for us. And this is attractive to others. So join me now as I pray for us. Father, in all these passages from your word, we hear you reminding us about the humble obedience of your son and what he has done for us who receive him now as saviour. And in deep awe, we reflect on the profound majesty of that very short title, Lord. We quietly receive your indescribable grace and give our lives again to Jesus, saviour and Lord. Amen. Well, thank you so much for listening, and uh, I look forward to being with you again soon. I'm going to miss a week over Easter, but uh, we'll be back again after that. So see you then.